Resolve. To decide firmly on a course of action. What kind of resolve do you have to follow Christ? Is it lifelong or convenient? Passionate or dry? Casual or consistent? As we embark on a new year, let's look at our lives in the light of Scripture. Let's get back to the basics to live sold out for Jesus. Let's strive to live courageously. Well, it is my joy and your joy as well. Let's welcome uh, those who are at First Norfolk on Volvo right now. Let's welcome them uh, to our time of worship together. And we are so excited for those who are there with uh, our family of faith at First Norfolk on Volvo. And it's going to be a great time. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 3. As you turn there, uh, we are continuing this series of of talks through... uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapters 2, 3, and 4. We began last week, and we looked at the life of Jesus, the childhood of Jesus. And we learned that we can be sold out for God's glory and His fame when we are living in His grip. And, and uh, I pray that it's your commitment as it is mine to live in the grip of God's grace, His mercy, His power, obedience to Him, living in the fear of the Lord every single day so that His desire becomes our mandate in life. So that's how Jesus began his journey. He lived in the fear of the Lord and the power of the Spirit. Uh, As we continue today, Luke moves from the childhood of Jesus uh, to the ministry of John the Baptist. And we see this in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist was an unusual character, but for the first time in three centuries, God began to speak through his prophet. For three centuries, the children of Israel had not heard the word of the Lord, uh, for there were no prophets in the land. And now, uh, in uh, the coming of John the Baptist, uh, the silence is over. Uh, God orchestrated John's life so that John would come as the forerunner, the herald of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And John lived his life courageously, fearlessly. Um, In Luke chapter 3, I I want you to see something about John the Baptist, really the end of this passage uh, and almost the end of the story of John the Baptist. In in, in verses 19 and 20 of Luke chapter 3, it says, Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by John the Baptist concerning Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added to this above all, that he shut John up in prison. And one of the things that we learn about John the Baptist, not only was he thrown in prison for doing what God had sent him to do, but ultimately he was beheaded. He was killed for being obedient to God, for living the mission. The reason I share that and and really the reason I'm beginning with that is because there is this idea sometimes that if we are obedient to God and faithful to him, then all the things in this life will work out just fine. Now, I'm an optimist at heart, and so that, that's naturally where I gravitate. I, I think if I'm obedient to God, then, then, then the things that, that are good are going to happen, but that's not always the case. Um, what created such courage in John the Baptist is that he knew that he was risking everything to fulfill what God had given him to do. What, what made it so courageous is that no matter what the threats against him, no matter the, 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 the ridicule that he faced, no matter opposition or rejection, no matter prison or death, John the Baptist lived 
for God's honor and fame, to fulfill the mission that God had given him. Now, what is this mission that God gave John the Baptist? Well, let's read about it a little bit, beginning in in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now, uh, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and the, and, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, which is not in Texas. Verse 2. That's a cheap laugh. That, that, that didn't cost me anything. Verse 2. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, here it is, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And as a result, verse 3, as a result of him receiving the word of God, verse 3, and John went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. If you skip on down to verse 18, Scripture says, or Luke summarizing, he says, And with many other exhortations, John preached the good news to the people. As we look at this passage and we look at the life of John, we need to understand that John lived his life sold out courageously for God, for God's glory, for God's honor, and for God's fame. John the Baptist gave himself to the mission that God had given him. And what is this mission? It is preaching the good news to those who have not heard it, preaching the good news that that the king is coming, preaching the good news that God was invading time and space with his Messiah that would set their world right. Good news that even though their sin was dark and even though they were living in the darkness of despair because of their sin, God was bringing rescue to them. It is a mission of declaring Jesus as hope for the world, as light in darkness, as love to dispel the loneliness, as hope in a place of despair. This is the message that John the Baptist came to deliver, that their world, their lives, their very souls can be made whole. Because Jesus is coming. That was John the Baptist's mission. The good news is that God's given us that same mission. You see, so often what happens is we begin to think, well, what is my purpose in this world? You you and I need to understand that our purpose in this world as followers of Jesus is very clear. He's given us a mission to fulfill. And that's you and me, not just professional religious people, but everyday, ordinary people like John the Baptist, like me, like you. God has given us his mission to fulfill. This mission is is what propelled John to be courageous in daunting times and difficult circumstances in austere uh, opposition. He, He was still courageous because the mission was clear and he had a duty, a responsibility, and a passion to fulfill it. Do you have that same duty, responsibility, and passion to fulfill the mission that God has given you and me? You say, well, where did God give me this mission and what does it entail? Well, the mission that God gives us 
is the mission that he gives to everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus. It's everyone who has tasted the new life that Jesus provides. Everyone whose heart has been transformed by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Everyone who once was dead in their sin and their trespasses, but who has been made alive together with Christ Jesus. If that's who you are, then God's given you a mission. That mission is spelled out. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, then you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, 14, 15, 16. He said, hey, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are supposed to get up against people who are decaying. Their souls are rotting in their sin. And you're supposed to get up against them and show them how that they could find the purity of life through faith in Christ. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You and I, we're called to engage people who are dwelling in the despair of their darkness and and unveil to them the light of God's rescuing love found in the person of Jesus. We're the light of the world. We hear it in the words of of the Apostle Paul himself in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Verse 17, he, he's talking to the church, okay? So, so Paul is addressing a group of people like you and me here at First Norfolk on Kempsville or First Norfolk on Volvo. He's, he's talking to a group of people like this, and, and he's trying to help uh, them see and understand who they are as followers of Jesus, what, what priorities they're supposed to have in life, how they're supposed to do this life in this world. So, so that's what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter to the believers in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says these words. He says, if anyone is in Christ, this is 517, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, and all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself, and he's given us the word of reconciliation. Now, what that means is that if you have been transformed by God's grace through faith in Christ, if you have been born again, saved, if if you have uh, abandoned that old and, and trusted in Jesus to give you new, then you are a brand new person. You are a brand new creation. God's grace has made you brand new. You once were dead, but now you're alive in Christ Jesus, okay? You are a new creation. Old things are gone. All things are new, and all those new things have come from God, and this is a good day, right? Okay, but then he goes on. He says, Paul writes, and he says, okay, all right, so, so we've been given not only the word of reconciliation, a word of peace, but, but we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, that is, God was, was, uh, uh, was, was, was uh, looking at the world and, 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 and he sent Jesus to rescue uh, us from our sin, not imputing our trespasses against us. And, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, and this is key for us, okay? You and me. I'm talking about you and me. This is key for us. We are, Paul writes, you are, we are, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were imploring through us, we beg you, talking to people who are far from God, we beg you on God's, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, so here is our mission, okay? You want to know what your mission is. This is my mission. This is your mission. This is our mission. We are ambassadors for Christ. If you are a new creation in Christ, then you are an ambassador for Christ. One goes with the other. If you're a new creation... You must be an ambassador, okay? 
It, it goes hand in hand, all right? So, so as an ambassador, what do we do? Well, we're begging people, literally. We're begging people for God. And we're saying to them, we beg you. <laughs> I'm begging you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Now, when was the last time you begged somebody to come to know Jesus? And that, that's our mission, okay? So this mission that God has given us is, is, is the same that he gave John the Baptist. And, and, and John the Baptist was living his mission courageously. We, 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 we have a hard time. Now, again, I'm not saying that it's easy because it's not. I mean, I, I understand where fear begins to rise up in us when we start to talk to somebody about spiritual things. When we stop talking about football and playoffs, when we stop talking about basketball and, and uh, who's better, Duke or North Carolina or University of Tennessee Volunteers, okay, when we start, to, when we start talking about, when we stop talking about sports or needlepoint or shopping or Pinterest, when we stop talking about those things and move from those casual conversations into spiritual things, crossing that line of conversation is hard. It's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for anyone. And fear can take hold of our hearts. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is rising up and allowing faith in God and faithfulness to God to overwhelm our fear. So as we're looking at, at John's life and as, we're, as we break down a few pieces of his life today, I, I want us to see, first of all, how he fulfilled this mission and, 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 and how he lived courageously. So the big picture that we need to take hold of is this. We live courageously, sold out to God, courageously. We live courageously when we share the good news of God's rescuing love with others, all right? So, so here's what courageous life looks like. It's where I go to my neighbor who is far from God or who I'm not sure of his relationship with God, and I walk across the street or I walk across the room or I walk across the, the restaurant and I sit down and I begin to have a conversation about their relationship with God and helping them find life in Jesus Christ. You realize this is a basic ingredient of who we are as followers of Jesus. It must be the core component of, of what we do, okay? So how did John the Baptist do it? And I want us to begin with the how, and, and then we're going to talk at the end about uh, how we can muster up courage, all right? So, so we live courageously when we share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. Now, how do we get hold of uh, the sharing, and, and what does it look like to share? And, and so let's just break down some of these passages and look at John and then see how that applies to our life. The first thing we see is that we live courageously uh, when we share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. And, and the first step is that we must uh, look for opportunities. We need to look urgently for opportunities. I, I want, let, let's pick up in, in the story of John the Baptist again. And, and the scripture says that John, verse 2, John went into all, the, or the, verse 3, and, and John went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching the good news of a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Uh, what John was doing in the picture of the text is that he wasn't sitting passively and waiting for everybody to come to him. Okay? He wasn't sitting in a church saying, okay, you want to hear the good news, you better come to church and get it. 
That's not how John did it. And by the way, that's really not the model we have in Scripture. The model we have in Scripture is not y'all come and get it. It's rather we go to you and share it. That's the model we have in, in Scripture. It's you and, it, it, it is you and I mobilized every day out into, out into the seven cities of Hampton Roads looking urgently for opportunities to provide rescue to people. Now, why, why did John go around it? And literally, he went around. He, he, he went to one place and he preached the good news of repentance for remission of sin. He said, if you want to experience forgiveness for your sin, freedom from your shame, then you've got to repent before a holy God. Okay? Repentance was key. So, so he went around. He says, good news. You can repent and find forgiveness for your sin. Good news. The Messiah is coming, and he is going to change your life. So, so you're saying, here's good news. And he went, to, uh, he went to, uh, uh, to, to one place, and he preached that good news, and people wanted to be baptized uh, as an outward symbol of that internal uh, commitment to repent their sin and, and place their faith in trusting God. And, 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 and then he'd leave that place, and he'd go to another place, urgently looking for people who were seeking after God, who are lost in their sin, people who are far from God. He looked, and he searched, and he preached. He looked, and he searched, and he preached. And you and I, that's how how it's supposed to be for us. How many people do you encounter every day who are far from God? Do you see them? See, that's, that's the eyes that we need to have. We need to have those eyes that see people who are far from God, people who are drowning in the misery of their own despair because they are distanced from God. Their sin has created a chasm between them and God, and they are drowning and they need help. Are you looking for the urgent opportunity to help them? If you're walking along the seashore and you see somebody drowning out in the, out in the surf, you don't just stand there and take pictures, not if you're a, a healthy individual. You see somebody drowning, you're going to find a way to help them. You're looking for an urgent opportunity. The very task of a lifeguard is to stand on his perch and look urgently across the coastline to see if anyone is in danger and then immediately race to help them. This is our calling. As followers of Jesus, we are to look urgently for opportunities to share with people how that they can be rescued. The second thing we see about John the Baptist and see about our life and ministry as well, not only should we look urgently for opportunities, but we, we must also make a path for them to see God's rescue. We need to cut the path. Now, I love to go hiking. I love, I love walking the trails in the Smoky Mountains. I, I've enjoyed walking the trails in the Shenandoah National Park and the Blue Ridge Mountains. I, I enjoy walking those paths, but, uh, but uh, I am thankful that somebody has gone before me to cut the trail. The paths I walk in the Smokies, uh, even if those paths have not been walked in decades, are still cut. There's still clearing for me to walk that path un, un, uh, unhindered from the brush and the underbrush. There are people who go along and, and, and on the Appalachian Trail, whether it's starting in Maine or going all the way to Georgia, if you walk that trail, there are people who have adopted sections of that trail just to keep it clear, just to keep it cut, so people can walk that path and see the beautiful vistas of the Appalachian chain and the, and, and the valleys below. It's, it's a beautiful thing to walk along a path that's already been cut so that you can see the beauty and the grandeur that uh, that, that path leads you to. 
Now, when John the Baptist was ministering, I want, I want you to see what, what they said. It, in verse 4, it says, as it is written in the, in, in the book of the words of Isaiah. This is verse 4, 5, and 6. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth, so that all flesh will see the salvation of God. John the Baptist was on a mission, and that mission was to cut down every obstacle and every barrier for someone who is far from God so that they might see that God is providing rescue for those who are far from him. Do you realize that is our task as well? It's not enough for us just spout a bunch of words and phrases about the good news of Jesus Christ, although that's important. Look, if you only have time for a little bit, start there. But, But we need to spend time with people who have philosophical differences. We need to spend time with people who who believe that that religion is the opiate of the masses and and it's worthless and no good and and it's deceitful and it's only uh, run by by, by, uh, people who are hucksters. Uh, uh, There are people that you encounter every single day that have a bad view of all things God. And it's your job to cut the path, to clear the way, to show them not the goodness of Eric Thomas or even First Norfolk, but rather to show them the goodness of the living God who has provided a way for them to be rescued. We need to show them the inconsistencies of their life. And that's best done in relationship. When we begin to show people the inconsistencies of their life, we're saying, okay, you believe that life should go A, B, and C. Can I tell you, as you look at your own life, that the way you're doing it, A, B, and C, is not equaling up to something that's beneficial for you. This is why you're miserable. This is why you're dissatisfied. This is the philosophy that leads to the bankruptcy of your soul. When you're living in relationship with people and you've developed a friendship with people, then you can begin to cut the path so that they begin to see, hey, maybe the way I'm doing life isn't working. But boy, that Eric, he doesn't have it all together and he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he looks like he's got some joy in his life. He looks like he's got hope in the midst of his despair. He looks like he's got peace when everything seems to be going wrong. He looks like, he looks like something's right about him. I wonder what it is that Eric has. I, maybe I need some of that. Now maybe, maybe what needs to happen is you and I need to spend a little bit more time with people in the smoking section of life. Maybe we need to spend a little bit more time with the people that are on the other side of the street morally. Maybe we need to spend a little bit more time with those who are far from God and a little less time with those who got it all together and start talking to them and helping them see the lostness in which they live and the emptiness to which they cling so that we can begin to paint a picture of a living God who brings rescue their way through the person of Jesus Christ. We need to start cutting a path for the people around us to see God's salvation. And by the way, it's really hard to do that when you're the most miserable person in your office. It's really hard to do that when you are the most cantankerous and toxic person in your neighborhood. I I don't want to oversell this too much, but can I tell you, kindness goes a long way to cutting a path. We could all use a little bit more. We live in a day and a time that is toxic, top to bottom. Oh, what an opportunity we have 
to show people that, yes, we live in toxic times and we live in, in, in crazy, divided circumstances, but can I tell you that there is something that satisfies and nourishes my soul and his name is Jesus and he's made my life okay and you may think I'm a crazy person, but can I tell you it works and maybe you ought to try it? We need to make a path. John the Baptist came cutting the path. He says, he's the lone voice in the wilderness. Nobody else was talking this way. He didn't care. He was going to cut the path. He was going to blaze the trail. He wanted people to see the rescue that God was making available for them. The third thing we see is that John the Baptist told the truth. And, and it, I got to tell you, it doesn't do us any good to cut a path. We're not going to tell people the truth. And what did he tell them the truth about? Well, he told them the truth about their sin. He said, your sin has separated you from God. And he said, the, the problem with your sin is, is that it has created a chasm between you and a holy God, and there is nothing you can do to fix it. You cannot overwhelm the chasm between a sinner and a holy God with a bunch of good works or religious effort. It just doesn't work. And John the Baptist was clear about that. And he made it, he made it plain to the people to whom he was preaching and talking. He said, he said I've come to preach a baptism, of, uh, preach the good news of a baptism, an outward expression of this inward commitment, baptism that reflects repentance for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. You've got sin, and it needs to be forgiven. And the only way you're going to get it forgiven is not by doing good works. The only way you're going to get it forgiven is through repentance, where you bow your life before a holy God and say, I've done it wrong, and I need your mercy and your grace. Repentance. We need to tell the truth about repentance. It's not just about showing up at church. It's not about just getting dunked in a baptistry or sprinkled as a baby. It's not about following a bunch of rules and regulations of a, uh, of a community of faith. That doesn't get it done. In fact, that's what was happening. The reason in, in verse 7 when, when John the Baptist called this group a brood of vipers who, who, who told you to flee the wrath that is to come. Uh, in, in, in that phrase, he's, he's talking about people who were coming to him and they were trying to get baptized as kind of a mystical incantation to make themselves feel better. They were using a religious ritual to try to cover up the emptiness of their soul. They figured, if I can just do this one more religious thing, then everything will be all right. And, and he says, it, it doesn't work like that. It says, being religious isn't going to get it done. We need to tell the truth. It's not about being a religious person or a moral person. That's not what's going to give you life on the inside. That doesn't bridge the distance between a sinner and a holy God. We need to tell them the truth, not only about, uh, about religion and the traditions we follow. We need to tell them the truth about their family heritage. Just because your mama and your daddy were good people and went to church doesn't mean that you're right in the sight of God. That's why John the Baptist said, you say that you're a descendant of Abraham and everything's going to be all right with you. And, and then he says, but God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones over here. Don't think that that's going to do you any good. Look, some of us are banking on the fact that we've been in the church and our families have been in the church forever and ever and ever. Amen. And we think that's what makes us right with God. And you are deceived. And we need to tell the truth about that. It doesn't matter what your mama and your daddy and your grandmama and your granddaddy did. It just doesn't matter. We need to tell the truth about sin and about tradition and religion. We need to tell the truth about, about uh, relationships and family heritage. Ultimately, we need to tell the truth that there is only one way to get forgiveness for your sin, and that is through repentance before a holy God. That's what makes it good news. Good news is you can repent. 
But we also need to tell the truth about the bad news. And this is the picture of verse 17. If you slide on down to verse 17, and, and, and John the Baptist said that, and when he's talking about Jesus, people were coming in verse 16 and said, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. And, and he goes on and he says, for there is one who is coming who is more powerful than I, whose sandal strap I am unworthy to loose. He's saying, There's, Jesus is coming and he is, he is the king and I'm not. And then verse 17, he says that Jesus is standing on the threshing floor. And he's separating, winnowing fan is in his hand. He is going to separate wheat from chaff. Wheat from chaff, that's a picture of those who are saved to those who are lost. Wheat, people who are going to heaven, who are right with God. Chaff, people who are going to be burned in unquenchable fire. Language of verse 17. See, guys, we got to tell the truth to people about judgment as well. There is good news. You can find forgiveness for your sin. There is bad news. Unless you repent, you will perish. We need to tell. And there's no middle way. There's no middle ground. There, there's no third avenue. There's, there's just either life or death, either light or darkness, either forgiveness or judgment. We need to tell the truth. The last thing we need to do is, is what John did, and that's always point to Jesus. See, when we tell people uh, and, and fulfill our mission, tell people the good news of God's rescuing love, we need to tell them about the person who is the rescuer. We need to tell them about Jesus. He's the more powerful one. John went on to say, he said, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus who came to immerse us in the presence and the power of God himself. Guys, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, you have been immersed in the power of God. The Spirit of God resides within you. You now live in immediate intimacy with the living God because the Spirit of God resides within you. You have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that baptism awakens you to the presence and the power and the person of God so that you can live each day in intimacy with him, fulfilling the mandate that he has given. But you're not going to get there without Jesus. You cannot know God apart from Jesus Christ. And apart from Jesus, you are going to be lost in your sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are going to be empty in this life. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are living in this world in darkness and without hope. You are strangers to the covenants of promise that God has made. You are a foreigner in this land, a stranger to God, and you are empty and incomplete. But because of Jesus, because of him, you can be rescued. We better point people to Jesus, not to a preacher, not to a church, not to a philosophy, not to a political group. We better point people to Jesus. And a little challenge that hits at the core of where we are in our nation today. If you're spending more time talking about your political affiliations than you are about Jesus the King, you're doing it wrong. I haven't gotten a lot of amens when I've said that. And those two things are not the same. Not even close. Anyway, so that's what we need to do. We need to point people to Jesus. Always point people to Jesus. 
But even with all this strategy, even with all these wonderful words about, about how, to, how to share and, and, and you know, to, to, to look for opportunities, so I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go into my community and I'm going to look for someone who is far from God, someone I know at work, someone I know at school, and I'm going to look for an opportunity to share with them the good news of God's rescuing love. Um, and, and I look for that opportunity and, and, and I want to, I, I, man, I want to cut a path for them so that they can see the rescue that God makes available through Jesus. And, and, and I want to tell them the truth and, and man, I want to point to Jesus, but it's hard. I'm scared. I don't know if I can. And that's where living courageously begins to take hold of us. Because when we look at John the Baptist, he probably had those thoughts in his heart. But, man, they were overwhelmed with courage. See, again, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is, is allowing our faith in God and our faithfulness to God to overwhelm our fears. There are places in our life where we know that we must have courage overwhelming fear. They're just natural places. Uh, for instance, you have a soldier that has, uh, has, has enlisted and trained and equipped, and now he's going to battle or she's going to battle. You have a soldier going to battle. You know that courage has to overwhelm fear in that moment. I, I, I believe that soldiers are going to be afraid when they hear the whistle of the, of the bullets or the, or the flak that, that bursts around them. There's going to be fear. I'm confident of that, although I've never experienced it. I, I'm confident there has to be that anxiety that begins to arise in, in, in them. And, and yet, they are commissioned to fulfill their mission. And they must fulfill their mission even in spite of their fear. They have to take a step forward even though everything in them says to stop. They need to press forward even though everything in them says to lay down. They have to step forward. That's what a soldier does. That's who a soldier is. Courage must overwhelm fear. It's no less true as followers of Jesus. See, the place where we must have courage overwhelming our fear is especially in fulfilling our mission of helping someone who is far from God find life in Jesus Christ. Guys, this is not optional. I don't know how to say it. I've said it a thousand times, I know, but i got to say it more. This is not optional. If you are a new creation in Christ, this is your mission to be his ambassador, to help people who are far from God find life in Christ. So I get the fear. I really do. I feel it. I know you feel it. I, I, I get afraid. I know you get afraid. But how do you overcome the fear? How do you move beyond the fear and, and, and live courageously? Well, we look at John the Baptist in Scripture, and, and I want to give you a couple of points as we close. Uh, the, the first thing we see about John the Baptist, what, what gave him courage in the face of fear was his commitment to God and to God's call. In verse 2, it says, and the word of God came to John. Now, that phrase is very significant. <clears throat> the word of God coming to John is a picture of a prophet receiving his assignment. It's a picture of, of the prophet receiving the revelation from God. It's God speaking, the prophet receiving, and then fulfilling it. And the prophet owed everything to, the God, to God. The prophet, John the Baptist, owed everything to God. His life was nothing apart from God. So his absolute allegiance was whatever marching orders that God gave him to fulfill. 
When we, you and I, as followers of Christ, understand that our whole existence depends upon God, when we have a commitment and a passion for Him that exceeds every other uh, focus in our life, when we live, as we talked about last week, in the fear of the Lord, where the Lord God Himself rules the roost of my life, when God becomes my passion and my urgency and my everything, then whatever assignment he gives me, that's what I'm going to do, even if I'm afraid. You know, there were times when my dad told me to jump out of a tree or jump off of a diving board, and I knew his arms were ready to catch me, and I knew he was there to protect me, but when he gave the order, I jumped because he was my dad. When you and I, as followers of Christ, fall in love with God and understand his calling in our life, we begin to experience courage, the kind of courage that, that men and women of our armed forces have out of duty for their calling, out of responsibility to fulfill their mission. You and I need to have that same kind of commitment. Courage is born from a commitment to God. And his call on our life. Courage is born, not only that commitment to God, but also courage is born from the message that we are to share. The word of God came to John, and so he went about preaching the good news. Uh, and, and so what is this message that he came to share? He came to share this simple truth that God, in his love, was sending rescue to those who are lost in their darkness and those who are ready uh, to be Rescued. He, 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 he's saying that Jesus is coming and Jesus is going to bring forgiveness for their sin and, and, and make their lives right. He, he was saying that there is hope in the midst of your despair. There is life in the midst of your death. There is, there is, there is light in the midst of your darkness. There is joy for you instead of the ashes of mourning. Jesus is coming and he can set your world right. And we believe that the gospel that Jesus came from heaven was born in a manger in a stable fully God yet fully man and he went to a cross to die for sinners and he died in the place of sinners to pay the penalty of our sin so that those who by faith trust him and repent their sin can be forgiven he was raised the third day that gospel message the Bible says is the power of God to rescue people do you believe the gospel can change a life See, when we believe that the message has the power, as the Bible says, the message has the power to change a life, then we will have courage to change it because we have the medicine for a sin-sick soul. We have the medicine for the one dying. We have medicine for the one who is, uh, uh, who is, who is wilting away in their own sin and, and the chains of their sin. If you, if you as, 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 as a parent... If you have children and, and your children, uh, they, they, as, as our girls were growing up, they, they, they would get ear infections or this or that or the other thing. And so we went and we got the pink stuff. Y'all know the pink stuff? Amoxicillin. It came in powder and you put a little liquid to it and you shake it up and you put it in the refrigerator and you're ready, baby. You, you throw that out and you give that to your children. What if your children said, I don't want that. It tastes gross. Do you say, okay, I won't give it to you. No, I've got medicine that will make them well. 
And whether they like to receive the medicine or not, I'm still going to give it to them because I want them to be made well. You and I are living in a sin-sick world and people are dying and, and, and because of their distance from God, they're dying inside emotionally and spiritually. And we have the medicine that can make them whole, but we've got to tell them. And you might say, hey, listen, they don't want to hear from me. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They're atheists. They're agnostic. They don't like church. They think, they think all preachers are hucksters. They don't want to hear from me. And I say to you, rise up, live courageously, and share with them the medicine that will cure the sickness of their soul, whether they like it or not. Well, Eric, they're going to not like me. Sometimes that's the price we have to pay. We live courageously. In a dark world, courage is born from our commitment to God. Courage is born from the message we share. We have confidence in that message that it can change a life. Courage is born from our companionship with the Spirit of God. John the Baptist in Luke 1.15 says that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. Friends, you and I are followers of Christ, and according to, uh, to the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 and, and, and the coming of the Spirit of God at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, we now have the Spirit of God within us, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. And the Spirit of God gives us immediate intimacy with God so that we no longer have the spirit of bondage again to fear, but now we have the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, I belong to God. I'm in his family. And yes, the way that guy's looking at me as I'm sharing the gospel, he doesn't seem to like me, but I belong to the family of God, so I'm going to be okay. Yeah, my coworker, he thinks I'm a fanatic and I'm weird, but I belong to the family of God, so I'm okay. Oh, they're they're not going to like me in my neighborhood. My neighborhood association is going to have a vote to vote me out as long as I keep paying my dues. But that's okay because I belong to a better association. I belong to the family of God. I no longer have a spirit of bondage again to fear. But I can be courageous. The Spirit of God empowers me. He has given me a a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I have the Spirit of God residing within me so that when I speak, the Spirit of God speaks along with me to give power to my words so that the gospel can reach even the hardest of hearts. I have the Spirit of God within me so that I can walk along this path hand in hand with the living God and I can have courage. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Guys, listen. If you've got the Spirit of God residing within you, you have all the tool, all the resource, all the power you need to live courageously and share the good news of God's rescuing love with those who are far from him. The last thing I'd say, and and this is free and it's not from John the Baptist, but courage is born from our commitment to God and, 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 and his assignment on our lives to share his good news with others. Courage is born when, when, when we have confidence in this message of the gospel. It is the power of God to save, to change, to make whole lives. We, 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 we find courage when, when because of our, our, our connection uh, and our relationship with the Spirit of God, we are baptized in the Spirit, immersed in the very presence of God. We find courage 
through the compassion of God, come alive in us. Paint the picture this way. And, and If you're a follower of Jesus, then God has stamped in your spiritual DNA love for him and love for others. In fact, 1 John says that you say you love God, but you hate your neighbor. You are a liar, and the truth is not in you. You say you love God and you hate anybody, you don't love God. It doesn't matter what the background of that person, it doesn't matter the the heritage of that person, it doesn't matter the country of origin of that person. If you hate, then the love of God is not in you. You get that? That's straight Bible, that's not politics, that's just straight scripture. You get it? So if you are a follower of Christ, the love of God does dwell in you. And the DNA of loving God bleeds into loving others. And and it's that love for others that needs to come alive in us as we relate to people who are lost and hurting and empty and and, and antagonistic toward God and the things of Christ. We we need to have this love that that compels us and constrains us. That's what Paul's talking about. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, he says, the love of Christ constrains us compels us, commands us. For we judge in this way, that if one died if one died for all, then all have died. But Jesus died for all, so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, he says six verses later. He's saying, here's the way we're supposed to live. If we have been rescued by God's love, we need to let God's love reign through us toward others. And that means we're going to help them find a way to escape the misery and the shame and the pain and the emptiness of their life separated from God. We're going to help them find life through Christ. God's love, his compassion flowing through us gives us courage because, you know, love will make you do dangerous things. It's time for us to be dangerous, courageous in loving God and loving others. So we share the good news of God's rescuing love with those who are far from him. I want to invite you right now to bow your heads and let's pray together. these next few moments, as we respond to God, His Word, as His Spirit has spoken to us, I invite you to respond personally, not, not just let His Word drift off your spiritual back, not just be flamed with an emotion for a moment and then forget about it. I, I invite you to respond with your whole heart to what God has spoken to you. In the next few moments as we make our commitment to the Lord, as we set our gaze upon the God of glory who has given us life and hope and peace, as we lift our hands in worship and praise to the living God, I'm going to invite you, perhaps you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to come here and 
bend your heart before God and, and ask him to give you the courage you need to share the good news of his rescuing love with others this week. To open your eyes to see the opportunities to share this wondrous good news. Maybe you need to come and, and to the altar and, and you need to ask God to give you the courage to share with that one person that he's already laid upon your heart. To share with that, to cut the path for that person to see the Lord's salvation. Maybe you need to ask God to give you wisdom and discernment, just courage to, to begin to speak, to cross that line in the conversation where you move from talking about uh, everyday things to talking about spiritual things, moving from a casual conversation to talking about Jesus the King. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray for God to give you that courage. Maybe you need to come and pray for that person that, that you... Uh, are, are sharing with, praying that God would open their eyes to see His great love for them and how that they can find life through faith in Christ. In these next few moments, I'm going to invite you to respond. And as we worship the Lord, I, I pray that He would grip your heart with a courage to stand up and stand firm and live for Him, sold out courageously. Now, Father, as we worship you in this moment, as we give our lives to you in this place, as we think about your call upon us and, and our response to that call, call, give us the courage and the obedience to say yes to you in this moment in this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.